Well, good afternoon. It's so nice to have you all with us. Let me start off with uh, this afternoon with a contrast from nature. A monarch butterfly makes one of the most amazing migrations in the animal kingdom. I'm sure you guys have seen monarch butterflies, even though each individual monarch weighs less than an ounce. Those tiny creatures somehow take part in a flight all the way from Canada to Mexico, covering over 2,000 miles. And this incredible journey takes place over two months, and it's filled with countless decisions and instinctual responses. Along the journey, most of the butterflies will be killed by storms or predators or pesticides or urbanization, and only the butterflies which make a thousand perfect decisions will end up where they're trying to go and survive. Like, that just makes me nervous thinking about it. But contrast that with the remora fish, you know, those sucker fish. Even though they can swim well on their own, they traverse the whole ocean by attaching themselves to a shark or a whale or a ship. So I want to ask you guys, which one of those creatures do you more relate to? Is your, is your ultimate hope for survival and success based on getting an endless series of decisions just right? Or do you attach yourself in faith to something that's proven worthy of navigating it for you? This afternoon we're starting a new sermon series called The Benefits of Worship. And each week we'll take one story or one passage from the Bible that teaches something to us that's valuable that will begin to occur in our lives as we make worshiping Jesus Christ more of a priority. Today's lesson, the main point simply stated, is that worshiping Jesus reduces our worry and our anxiety. Is there anybody here this morning or this afternoon that's looking for more worry and more anxiety? I think probably one of the few things that we all have in common is that in our own ways, we all struggle with anxiety and worry. So that opening illustration about uh, those two creatures is meant to introduce us to two women, two close friends of Jesus that uh, we were introduced to there in the story read to us by the worship team. Their names are Mary and Martha. They're sisters. The Mary is not the mother of Jesus. There's a couple different women named Mary in the gospel accounts. These are two sisters, two close friends of Jesus. One goes through life consumed with all the tasks and the decisions that fall on her and that she believes she has to get just right. Maybe you can relate. And the other is like that remora fish taking every opportunity that she has to attach herself to Jesus. So let's spend the next 20 minutes studying how a couple Bible stories about Mary and Martha are meant to teach us and meant to inspire us on the power of worship to significantly reduce our anxiety, our worry, and our troubles. And our outline will be in three points. First of all, we'll talk about how this introductory story of Mary and Martha, like what they represent. Section two, we'll talk about the result of their approaches over time because each one sets a specific course of how they're going to respond to anxiety. And then there's a couple stories that the gospel writers give us that show us, interestingly enough, what those attitudes uh, progress towards over time. And then let's wrap up in section three with application for us and what we're supposed to learn and apply from these stories. 
All right, so the story of Mary and Martha, Luke 10, 38 to 42. It was just read to us by the worship team, but it's so short and so powerful that I'd like to read it to us again for effect. Luke 10, 38 to 42 says this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made, so she came and she said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed and indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better. It will not be taken away from her. So I think there's a few things that should jump out to us about this story from these characters, from these real-life characters, uh, Mary and Martha. One of the things that probably pops into our mind about Martha is that she has responsibly chosen to fulfill her hosting responsibilities. Martha is doing what she's supposed to do. Um, I've read some interesting things that some rabbis have written over the years, and if you take all the stories that involve visitors or guests or hospitality throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's actually a, a code or there's actually a pattern that emerges. In other words, if you lived in Bible times, there were certain obligations that you would be responsible to carry out Anytime somebody came onto your property, anytime someone came onto your land, anytime someone came into your home. It's actually a five-point code of expectations that involve this. First, there's an invitation. Then there's a screening. Then there's the provision. Then there's some act of protection. And then there's a departure. And as you think back to the stories of Abraham, as you think back to the stories of Elijah and Elisha, there's always this code that is occurring. Uh, I found a great resource that talked about this a little bit more specifically, so let me read a quote to you uh, from the Dictionary of Biblical Imagery that just explains a little bit more in depth like what Martha was so worried about and what she would be expected to fulfill. It says this, In Bible times, the host assumed the responsibilities of providing food, water, and lodging for the guests and all their animals. The provision and the protection extended in hospitality were well-defined and elaborate. Acceptance was signified by the washing of a guest's feet and providing of a meal. The meal, prepared and served by women or household servants, might be lavish, and it could also include music and dancing in a discussion of the Torah or the Old Testament scripture. In order not to insult the guest, the meal must be the best quality that the host could provide. An additional honor would be bestowed on anointing the guest of honor with oil, placing him next to the host. Customarily, guests could expect to stay in one household for no more than two nights. In other words, there's all these sorts of expectations that came along with hospitality. So Martha wasn't making things up. She knew the code. Everybody knew the code. And she was doing her best to make sure that their guests would experience all that they were expecting. As we move on to some other things that should jump out to us from this story, uh, Martha becomes overcome with this burden of hospitality. And maybe if you guys have had guests over or hosted family during the holidays, you have become overcome with the burdens of hosting as well. Uh, Sometimes when I've heard this story explained or preached, Martha kind of becomes a villain. uh, Because when 
people are contrasted with what you're supposed to do with what you're not supposed to do, it's easy to look down on the person who does what you're not supposed to do. I just want to point out that Martha's not a villain. She's doing what she's supposed to do. She's doing what is expected. Let me uh, talk a little bit about something that I've experienced because maybe you guys can relate to Martha. In every house that I've ever lived in, going all the way back to being a kid, roommates that I had in college, all the houses that my wife and I have lived in since marriage, uh, in our kitchen we've always had a 20-foot by 30-foot invisible scoreboard. Do you guys have one of those in your kitchen? And every time you load the dishwasher... Every time you set the table, every time you break down and scrub out the inside of the microwave because somebody didn't cover the bacon with a paper towel, you get, you get a point on the scoreboard, right? And every time you get about two to four points higher than anybody else in the house, what do you do? You do exactly what Martha does. You expect affirmation or you expect somebody to get rebuked. And we all do it. And you might have come into today's story thinking to yourself, I'm just a Mary. I'm not like Martha. But when we serve others, when we clean for other people, when we feel like we're serving in a way that's not matched or reciprocated by others, we all have that invisible scoreboard. And just like Martha goes to Jesus and says uh, that she wants affirmation and that she wants Mary to be scolded, we all do that internally, or if you're like me, you do that verbally. And you tell others that they are not carrying their weight around the house. Of course, one of the things that should jump out to us about this story is that a rebuke towards the others uh, or affirmation from Jesus is not going to bring Martha the rest and the peace that she really is looking for. And I just want you guys to know that when you go home, and it's a day or two from now, if you rebuke those in your household that aren't serving in the kitchen as much as you want them to or cleaning up after themselves, or if you seek them uh, to affirm all that you've done, you, you, might be, you might need to do that just for the sake of uh, family harmony. But seeking affirmation or rebukes is not going to bring you the peace or the rest that you are seeking either. One of the things that's so beautiful about this story is Mary's example actually shows us how we can receive the peace and the rest that we're looking for in our frantic serving of others. So that's kind of what the story's all about. Mary recognizes that enjoying the presence of Jesus is an extraordinary opportunity, and she's going to seize it. She's going to fall at his feet. She's going to listen to everything that he has to say. She prioritizes what others have overlooked in their worry and their anxiety and their tasks. Okay? Let's just take a really quick moment to acknowledge that we can't physically sit at the feet of Jesus. We can't just sit and listen to Jesus talk to us. But through the, some Christian, through some time-honored Christian disciplines, there are a lot of ways that we can worship and celebrate the presence of Jesus. Just a couple of those are reading our Bibles, prayer. We can pray to Jesus. We can pray to God anywhere that we are, anytime. We can listen to insightful biblical sermons. We can read uh, theologically uh, sound devotion and inspiring devotional books. And of course, we can sing praise music. And these are all ways that we can be a Mary or a Martha. We can either just choose the tasks and the busyness of a weekend or a Sunday afternoon 
all that needs to be done, all the hosting, all the errands. Or we can be like Mary and we can choose to prioritize the enjoyment of the presence of Jesus. Well, one of the things that I really wanted to focus in on today is the result. Like we all know what Mary and Martha represent. Let's just look for a moment a little bit in some other places in Scripture and see uh, the progression of what their approaches lead to over time. So we see here in this story in Luke 10 that Martha, for whatever reason, has chosen duty. She's chosen responsibility. She's chosen hospitality. And it leaves her a little salty. It leaves her a little bit upset at her sister's choice. If we turn in our Bibles to John 11, that one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible, the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, we have another uh, future uh, example of Martha and Mary's attitudes uh, towards worship over time. And in John 11:21 to 27, we see that Martha's not a bad person. We see that Martha has a high degree of perceptiveness. We see that Martha knows and believes that Jesus Christ is the one sent by God for our deliverance. And listen to what we see uh, uh, that Martha understands about Jesus here in John 11, 21 to 27. Lord, Martha says to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one, anyone who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. It couldn't be any more clear that uh, Martha is a perceptive person. And even despite all of her chores and all of her serving and all of her quest to get hospitality right, she still knows that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. But listen to what happens just a little bit later in the story. Here in John eleven thirty nine, 39. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. So do you guys understand what's happened because of Martha's anxiety? She believes that Jesus is the Son of God, but her anxiety is creating an eclipse. It's blocking that reality that she knows to be true. And that's something that I can relate to about Martha because I have moments where I know that Jesus is the Son of God. I know that Jesus is who God has sent to show us the better way to live. But just like the moon goes in front of the sun and blocks us from recognizing that brighter, greater power, even though we know that it's still there, Martha's anxiety, her worry, her fearfulness that the body of her brother is going to cause this embarrassing odor to come across the scene is causing an eclipse or it's blocking what she knows to be true. And maybe you guys can relate to Martha as well. Maybe there's days where your faith is resolute, but then there's other moments where your anxiety blocks that greater reality that you know to be true. What happens in Martha's life over time? Well, in John 12, 2, we just have another future story. And it tells us this. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor, and Martha served. Okay? 
So this, uh, this prioritizing of the busyness and the service and the tasks and the anxiety, what does it lead to? It leads to a continuation of prioritizing those things. But let's contrast that with the beautiful model that Mary gives us. And what we see in these same stories is that over time, Mary's prioritization of worship has led her to come up with some incredible, perceptive realizations about Jesus that even the disciples haven't yet learned. All right. Uh, so, our last kind of episode here is in John 12, 2 to 7. It's another very familiar story that I'm sure that you're all familiar with. But let's look at what this chosen attitude that Mary has selected and held on to leads to over time. It says, Six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, where Jesus had raised uh, him from the dead. And here at dinner was given in Jesus' honor. And Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took out about a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. And he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and a keeper of the money bag, and he used to help himself to what was put in it. And leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So let's just continue to talk a little bit about this progression in Mary's life. Um, Actually, there's a couple things in this story that are actually probably more common than we assume. And then there's a couple things in this story that are probably a little bit more surprising than we would assume. First of all, as we talked about in that quote earlier, perfuming your guests was actually a pretty common thing. It was actually something that guests would expect. Uh, let me just uh, paint this picture. I think I've used it before. Imagine that you are about to go uh, to the nicest, most prominent home in this whole town for a dinner party. And all the town's elite would be there, and you'd really want to impress them. And imagine you had spent the last five days camping, okay? And you were going to actually be reclining on all the other guests throughout the whole meal. That's what it was like in Bible times. Uh, they were outdoors. They cooked around fires. They didn't have hygiene like we have today. And parties were extremely close, and people actually rested on the person next to them. So it was expected and it was common that you would have a little bit of perfume put on you so that the room would be fragrant and covering up some of those more unpleasant smells. So Mary was uh, putting perfume on Jesus, and that's something that would have been very common in parties and gatherings uh, at that time. But of course, she doesn't hold back. She puts all the perfume on Jesus. So the first abnormal thing that Mary does is that she doesn't hold anything back when she is anointing and worshiping Jesus. That's not very descriptive of my worship. When I am worshiping, I hold a lot back. I've got things going through my mind that I need to do that night. Sometimes I wonder how my fantasy football team is doing, at least, at least on Sunday mornings. Uh, I wonder if my kids are being too loud. 
I wonder if the sermon's going to be good or terrible, right? Like, like Mary's worship is so abnormal because she holds nothing back. And that's one of the things that Jesus goes on to commend about her worship. And I think I can speak for all of us when I say that often when we are trying to praise Jesus Christ in worship, we're thinking about the song, we're thinking about something that's on our to-do list, and we actually hold a lot back. The second abnormal thing that Mary does is this incredible intimacy that she shows. Uh, in Middle Eastern cultures, even to this day, it's pretty common that uh, women will, will cover their faces. It's thought of that that's beauty that is only to be revealed to their husbands or within their direct family, uh, and their hair is wrapped up tightly. So when Mary gets down and takes uh, the hair out of its uh, wrap and it spreads down over her shoulders and she takes that often private thing and uses it to anoint and uh, wash Jesus' feet. It's just the second way that she's showing in worship, Jesus, I will hold nothing back from you. What a beautiful picture. By lavishly anointing Jesus, Mary is showing that she's actually aware that Jesus won't be with them much longer. Uh, Judas kind of freaks out and he says, the amount of money that this perfume is worth is a year's wages. And by pouring it all out on Jesus, Mary's saying, she's displaying, I'm holding nothing back. There's nothing to save for Jesus on his next visit. There's nothing to save for tomorrow because he won't be with us much longer. And just so that we don't miss that point, Jesus acknowledges in John 12, 7 and 8, she had been keeping this for the day of my burial, but I will not always be with you. Jesus is pointing out that Mary has recognized that he's about to die. The disciples haven't realized this yet. But Mary, this woman who's always prioritized listening to Jesus and worshiping Jesus, has this amazingly profound realization that even the disciples haven't quite learned. Well, let's wrap up here and then put some of this into practice. What can we take away from this story that's meaningful for each one of us today? It's, it's simple and it's this. You can reduce the anxiety and the worry in your own life by enjoying the presence of Jesus. Isn't that the beautiful lesson that Mary's giving us in this progression? You can reduce the anxiety in your modern life simply by prioritizing and enjoying the presence of Jesus. It's so simple. But what are we going to do two Sundays from now? We're going to prioritize something else, overcoming and worshiping Jesus. Think about the two odors in today's sermon. In John eleven thirty nine. 39... Martha is worried that the absence of Jesus has created an odor. In John eleven thirty nine, Martha is worried that by Jesus not coming sooner to resurrect Lazarus or to heal Lazarus, that now there's going to be this embarrassing odor. I think her anxiety is represented by the worry over that odor. Sometimes our worry and our anxiety can bring a stink into our lives and into our relationships. But what's the other odor in the story? Mary fills the room with the beautiful aroma of holding nothing back in worship of Jesus. And I don't think it's a coincidence. I think the gospel writers want us to contrast and compare the worry and the anxiety over Martha's fears that Jesus wasn't there and everything's falling apart with that beautiful secondary aroma of Mary filling the room with that expensive perfume.
Let me give you guys a quick illustration. I have permission to use it. Back when COVID was at its most fearful time, back in April and May, I would come back from work or I would come back from visitation some days and my wife would be frantically going around the house and there would just be a pile of disinfectant wipes. Okay, We had our house on the market and so at the height of the COVID scare, we'd have to have strangers come into our home when we weren't there, just do whatever they wanted in our home. My wife is an emergency room nurse. She knows how viruses and bacteria is spread. And on some days, her fear would overcome her and I would have a gauge. I would know exactly how, what her level of freaking out was by how many disinfectant wipes there were. And uh, I think we all know that sometimes when one person in a family is anxious and frustrated and scared and fearful, the day's not going to go great. That's going to carry over. That's going to spread like a virus into the others in the family. But there would be other days in uh, April and May when I would walk into our, the same house and I would hear Sarah's voice and I would hear Stephanie's voice and I would hear Mark on the guitar and I would hear the YouTube video of Big Sky Christian Fellowship Worship. And I would know that in moments like that, my wife was Mary, and she had chosen worship. And despite all of her fears, and despite really legitimate, scary things that were happening, and unknown things that might have happened in our home during showings, she was making the choice that Mary had made. She had chosen to just celebrate the presence of Jesus. And then that also spreads, does it not? That also spreads through the family. And I would quickly hear those songs, and I would have a smile on my face, and I would know that it was going to be a calm and peaceful night in our home. Let me try to put all this together with a couple quick quotes on worship from some people that I respect. Uh, the singer Graham Kendrick says this, Worship has been misunderstood as something that arises from a feeling within you or something that comes upon you. But it's vital that we understand that worship is rooted in a conscious act of the will to serve and obey and enjoy Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis says this, It's in the presence of being worshipped that God communicates his presence to men and women. Here's a quote from Jesus. He says, Only a few things are necessary, really only one. That's what Jesus says about worship. A.W. Tozer says this, Man was made to worship God, and God gave man a harp, and he said, Here, above all the creatures, I've given you instruments, I've given you music. I put more strings on your instrument, and I gave you a wider range than all the other creatures. You can worship me in a manner that no other creatures can. But when he sinned, man took that instrument and he threw it down in the mud and now it's rusted and broken and unstrung. And instead of seeking to worship, man is ego-centered and turned inward on himself and he sulks and he swears and he laughs and he sings, but it's all without true joy and without worship. And Joseph Carroll said this, You have chosen to be a Martha, but God wants you to be a Mary. I'd like to invite the worship team to come forward. And let's put some of this into practice. I have great news for you guys. Overcoming anxiety and living with joy, it's not dependent on you getting the circumstances just right. That's a lie from the devil. The devil says you can't worship and you can't have joy unless you are busy and you get everything right and you make every decision perfectly. But what Scripture tells us, what the example of Mary tells us, is that joy and peace and calmness it just comes from us attaching ourselves to the right thing. 
Mary's lesson to us is that diminishing anxiety in our lives is as easy as us attaching ourselves to the presence of Jesus.